0: There you go. I delivered that message last week in such short amount of time. I was willing to take his remaining minutes and use it today, if that's okay with you all. But uh, I appreciate that. Um, about 25 years ago, I gave one of my first lessons to students um, here. It was a, a Bible study lesson that we did on the story of uh, Jesus going to the home of Mary and Martha. And uh, I, I grew up in the church, so I was pretty confident of, of the Bible and of the stories uh, that uh, you read, and I've heard that one a few times. And so I was willing to do this lesson and uh, do it well. Um, I thought that uh, going into it, I knew exactly what the students needed to hear. And uh, the lesson I taught was about needing to clean up our life for Jesus so that we can enjoy him in our our life and our home and that lesson was way out of context that's not what that passage was teaching at all i was teaching a form of asceticism and salvation by works not a lesson on grace uh, or god's goodness and i really messed up thankfully two other leaders there dear friends of ours brad and lisa uh, they pulled me aside that night afterwards and and they corrected me in private they, um, in a very Priscilla and Aquila type of way, they corrected my teaching and, and directed me in a way that I needed to handle scripture and, and do well and so that the next time I would do better. And, and I felt in that moment like a complete cotton-headed Um but I didn't feel attacked. Um, they could have addressed me in a lot of other ways that a lot of people do, right? They could have been harsh with me and, and uh, wanted me to just stop from speaking such false teaching and never speak again. Um, they could have addressed me right there in public in front of the students and uh, uh, to be sure that everybody who heard the lesson that I gave knew what the truth was and, and not to take anything I said as true ever again. Or They could have spoken about me instead of with me and never let me in on what I had done wrong. Maybe they would have uh, even posted some comments or trolled me on social media, which in that day probably would have been MySpace. So um, instead, they didn't do do any of that. Instead, they chose to speak with me with the hope of setting me on a corrected path. And they gave me a lot of potential, guided me so that I still had some purpose. They granted me a chance to own up to what I did and and to be more careful with how I handle God's word in the future. I'm grateful that they cared enough to say something, and I'm really grateful that they cared enough to say it well. Today, I want to look at a passage from the end of John's gospel with you. Uh, It might very well be one of my favorite scenes in the whole Bible, probably because I know that I mess up a lot just like Peter does, and probably more because I continue to learn just how amazing Jesus is as I read this passage. This is a passage I think we can read and see that God is, is just, that, that Jesus is a good teacher and, and a leader, and, and he writes the wrongs, and he goes down that checklist at the end of the day and makes sure everything is corrected and just the way it should be. But I think if we skip over a study of this passage and we just read it, we might miss out on something tremendous about Jesus here. We might read it and realize that we need to clean up our house and we might totally miss the opportunity to sit in the glory of God. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, and what he's willing to, to do in you and me. I would think I'd, I'd kind of like to know today what the creator of the universe would like to do through people like you and me. I think that could bring a lot of hope into this world for us and I think that's probably what this world needs right now. So, so let's read it, and let's discover what Jesus does for a bunch of cotton-headed nitty-muggins like us. Turn to John 21, verse 2. As you're turning there, let me, let me set up the scene for you. This moment is happening just weeks, maybe just days, after Jesus has resurrected from the dead and appeared to his disciples a couple times. And that's not a lot of time when you compare it to the three years that Jesus has spent with these disciples teaching them. It's kind of like finals week in your senior year, your last year of your high school career when you're trying to cram everything in, you're trying to complete all those assignments you didn't get done in time, and you're trying to learn all the lessons that you kind of paid attention to but you didn't really pay attention to, and you're trying to get prepared for that final exam that's about to happen. It's really not enough time, but it is a lot of time when you sit and stew on what you haven't done and what you need to do and you think about everything that you are. Maybe that's what Peter was doing. Maybe, maybe a few weeks was too much time for him to be thinking about all that he had done. See, a few chapters before the scene, Peter and the disciples were in their upper room with Jesus. And Jesus was teaching them another lesson, washing their feet. And they didn't pick that one up either. And Peter declares to Jesus, he says that, uh, don't just wash my feet, but wash my head and my hands and my whole body while you're at it. And Jesus is like, no, Peter. Um, correcting Peter, he says, that's, that's not what this lesson is about. Later that night, Jesus is telling the disciples what he's about to go through, and that he'll go through it alone. But Peter, classic Peter, ever confident in his own capability declares that he will go with jesus that that he would lay down his life for jesus if that's what it required, because he had heard that that's what a good shepherd would do for his sheep jesus had just taught that a few days before and, and that was not what jesus was about either jesus corrects peter again telling him that peter wouldn't lay down his life for him but instead jesus even predicts that he would disown him Three, de- three times before the rooster crows. A couple chapters later, Jesus takes the disciples to the garden to pray. And in the moment of Judas' betrayal, Peter, as you might expect, Peter jumps up to defend Jesus with a sword. And, and let's, let's be honest here. Jesus doesn't really need us to defend him with a sword, I don't think. Um, but we tend to, right? We tend to defend him with words and with debate and comments on Facebook But Jesus doesn't need that. And Jesus once again corrects Peter, telling him to put away the sword that Peter just used to cut off a servant's ear. And Jesus has to fix fix that mess that Peter made and heals the servant on the spot. You'd think that's enough, but it keeps going. During the night at Jesus' trial, Peter stays close in the courtyard, but not too close. So he's found. And and as three different people ask Peter if he was with Jesus, if he was one of his disciples, Peter saves his own life and denies being a disciple, denies knowing Jesus, even being associated with Jesus, and then the rooster crows. And in that moment, Luke in his gospel says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered what Jesus had predicted about him, disowning him three times before that rooster crowed. Jesus didn't correct Peter this time. He didn't have to. Peter knew what he had done and what he was, and he wept bitterly. This might be Peter in his lowest moment. Peter would spend the next few days, maybe the next few weeks, burying the sorrow and regret of his failures. His mind was stuck in regret mode, focused only on what he had done. Even in the morning hours of that resurrection, Peter runs to the tomb to find out the truth of what Mary says. But then upon seeing it, he walks back home, contemplating what he's seen and not very motivated in that moment. We have to wonder, where did bold and brash Peter go? Peter, the only disciple to get out of the boat to walk in the water with Jesus. Peter, the one who declared his belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Peter, the one whose belief in Jesus is what Jesus said his church would be founded on, Peter, the disciple that Jesus probably believed in the most, but Peter wasn't sure that he was the disciple for the job. As we'll see in this passage, Peter's return to fishing in this time, what he knew how to do. In a moment, he didn't know how to lead what Jesus was calling him to lead. He returned to what he knew. So let's read. Let's read this story. John 21 starting at verse two we'll put it on the screen for us it goes like this simon peter thomas also known as didymus nathaniel from cana and galilee the sons of zebedee and two other disciples were together i'm going out to fish simon peter told them and they said we'll go with you so they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing early in the morning jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was jesus He called out to them friends haven't you any fish no they answered and he said throw your net out on the right side of the boat you'll find some when they did they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish then the disciple whom jesus loved said to peter it is the lord as soon as simon peter heard him say it is the lord he wrapped his outer garment around him And jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yard. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. If we just read this passage and we neglect to recognize that this is a direct echo of how Jesus called these fishermen to be his disciples in the first place, would be missing out on a tremendous grace of Jesus. It's so good that John includes this story here for us. Uh, this, this is how good the Bible is, guys. It's a story that makes us kind of go, oh, ah, I get it. Oh, aha, uh-huh, wink. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand now. But this is a story that goes way beyond a wink, guys. We see that this is the second chance for the disciples, a chance for them to follow Jesus when they thought their lives as disciples were over, But it's really not a story about the disciples. It's a story about who Jesus is. As Jesus brings the disciples back into fellowship, sharing a meal with them again, he shows them how kind he is. Taking bread and sharing it with them, taking their fish and serving it to them, he shows that he's good. But he's going to show Peter that he's even more, and I don't want you to miss this. So let's keep reading. Verses 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now we read that. And uh, I think most of us pick up on the accountability there that Jesus is giving Peter, that, that uh, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times, and so Jesus asked Peter three times, uh, do you love me? It's that accountability. Um, but um, if that is all we read And this picture we have of jesus is someone who keeps a record of our wrongs and addresses each thing that we've done with justice and acknowledgement that we are the sinners and you better not forget it i mean he's not wrong in that but that's really not what peter or any of us need right it's like getting disciplined from the coach and then being sent back onto the field knowing that if I mess up again, if I do something wrong, I'm gonna be pulled from the game and I'm always afraid of what the coach will say to me when I hit the bench. And that's the type of player who stops shooting on goals. That type of follower will no longer take risks like getting out of the boat or declaring what nobody else is willing to say. That follower will always play it safe and let others go first and never find the potential that God has for them. And if that's how we read this, if that's how we see God and that's how we live as Christians, then our thoughts are gonna get trapped in the past. We'll be these morose Christians, full of regrets and afraid of having more, afraid of doing something wrong. We'll talk about the commands and the rules and we'll review the rules and we'll make more rules so we don't break God's commands and we won't get to see what Jesus is really doing. If that's how we read this passage, then that's really all we're going to get. Because there's something more for us. Underneath the English, there's something else happening. Look back at that passage. You're going to see that Jesus calls Peter by his given name. He calls him Simon. That was the name his parents gave him. Jesus gave him a different name, a nickname. He calls him Petros, Peter to us. Uh, If you translate that, it's Pebbles. So it's kind of a cute little name for a big fisherman, but when he uses his given name, you feel that this is like going to the principal's office, not just hanging around with the guys by the fire. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And the Greek word for love that he uses is agape it means unconditional love love without reservation or exception it's the love that god has for us and it's the love that jesus always commands us to use but it's not the only greek word translated into english as love there are others and to be certain peter responds in the affirmative yes but it's an honest and perhaps humiliated response he doesn't say that he agape loves him He says that he, phylos, loves him. And phylos means to like or to have a fondness for a friend. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, Jesus, I like you. And that's tough. Peter's response really acknowledges his shortcomings. He's willing to admit that he has not loved Jesus without exception. He's missed the mark, and he's owning up to it. But Jesus, Jesus still calls him to that purpose, this calling that is definitely greater than Peter's performance up to this point. And so the question is repeated. Jesus asked Peter, if he agape loves him, and Peter replies still that he philos likes him. He just can't rise up to the expectation. But Jesus still calls him to a purpose greater than Peter. You know, it would be easy to believe that Peter anticipated being asked again the third time, knowing, yeah, I denied you three times. You we made eye contact, you get this. And we anticipate he's gonna ask a third time, and Jesus does ask a third time. It's painful for us to watch someone else get reprimanded, right? It says that Peter was hurt that he asked, but not not hurt like you might think. See. Jesus changes the story, he changes the expectation. That's what Jesus does. The third time Jesus asked, Jesus comes down to Peter's level and asks him the same question, Peter, do you phylos me? He doesn't ask if he agape loves him, he uses the word that Peter used, phylos. And Peter responds, I don't think hurt because he got asked a third time. I think hurt because Jesus had to come down to his level. Peter responds that he does phylos love him. And Jesus not only continues to call him to a purpose, but he tells him what lies ahead for him and finishes with that same calling that Jesus gave Peter on the beach years earlier, follow me. Just when we expect the discipline, Just when we expect the teacher to warn his student that if he doesn't shape up and and do his very best, then then he's going to fail this class. But Jesus shows us that it was never about the grades, it was always about the student. Jesus fills that gap between expectation and performance with his grace, and it means absolutely everything for us. No longer are we trapped by our failures. No longer do we have to worry about messing up again. No longer are we stuck in the realization that we will never measure up because Jesus changes the measuring stick. He fills in the gap with himself, and that is a picture of what Jesus has been all about all this time. When our... When our sin weighs heavy, when our guilt and shame are all we can think about, Jesus changes how we deal with our judgment and offers us something else to think about. Now, he doesn't say that sin is okay or that it doesn't matter that we sinned. He never tells us to go on sinning and he'll just clean up the mess that we made. He fixes the problem and tells us to go and sin no more. We're not just off the hook and then off the mission Jesus puts himself on the hook in our place and still gives us a chance to be part of his mission once again. This grace, man, this grace, is, it's overwhelming to me. I mean, I know the messes I've made. I know the times I've denied Jesus. I know the times when I should have been there, but I wasn't, and I know that I constantly underestimate the power of the grace of Jesus to do incredibly more than I can imagine. It's a hard truth to accept, right? Especially when we recognize how sinful we are, how flawed we are as Jesus followers, but how messy we make church and how far we feel we are from God sometimes. But it's the gospel truth. It's what he does. Tim Keller said the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. That's the tension, the paradox that we can find ourselves in. It's what Peter found himself in. When we can accept that gospel, that God is holier than we could ever bear, and yet he's more gracious than we could ever conceive, we will have a purpose and a calling for our lives too. This weekend, I, uh, I opened the garage door, and I found that a jug of our laundry detergent had fallen off. The dryer probably has it spun dry, and it fell to the ground and busted open an entire full jug all over the rug laying there. I understand why you only need a few pumps of that in each load, that's all it takes to get your clothes clean. I will never underestimate the cleaning power of a jug of detergent ever again. Marcy came out to help, and we we scrubbed, and we cleaned, and we got the kitty litter. You know, that's what the internet said to do. And um, We've been spraying this rug with water and trying to get all the detergent out of it. We've all taken turns on it. We've got the cleanest driveway in the whole neighborhood. (laughs) I'm convinced that a few drops of grace would be enough for us in this life. Now, most days, I probably need a few more drops, and I'd like to admit Some days we need a whole cup. But the grace that Jesus has for us, the power of the grace that he has stored up and what he wants to pour out into this world through us, we can't imagine how powerful it will be. It will go on forever. We will never get it all out of us. His grace has the potential to change the entire world if we would just let it flow through us. And I believe, I believe That his grace is being poured out amongst us. It is being poured out in the people sitting next to you. It's it's being poured out in the stories being told around here. It's in your family. It's in this church. It's in you. It's in me. So here's my hope for you. When you're tempted to believe the impossibilities and that they're just impossible, I want you to remember what God can do in his ability and not in ours. When you're tempted to focus on what is going wrong, when all you can see is failure and the mess that we have made, remember that God believes in you much more than you probably believe in him. Let Jesus fill that gap between performance and expectation with his grace, and let's not underestimate what God can do. Let's leave that room for his grace in our lives. Would you pray with me? father you are more than we can imagine you've done more than we could ask your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts you ask where were we when we when you did all this miraculous things that you did to make this universe work you seem immensely greater than anyone i could ever stand before god you are wild and fierce but but god you're so good You invite us to call you Father because you love us as your children. Your mercy and grace know no bounds and you're willing to forgive us all of our sins, taking them as far as east is from the west for us. You make us new. Oh oh God, the more I know you, the more I am amazed by you. May May I never underestimate you, Jesus. Just when I think I can't, I think you can i'll gather all those insufficiencies that i have i'm gonna place them in your hands god god will you be strong for us lord may we remember that it is in our own weakness that you are strong so we can boast in you and you alone and all that you have done thank you lord Thank you for being so good to us. You've been so good to me. In Jesus' name, amen.